Are we ready to start, start this, this shit up? Let's get this shit on the road. Let's do this. God damn it. Episode, dude. Right. Okay. Howdy, howdy, folks, and welcome back to another episode of So Stereotypical, where us two media creators discuss LGBTQ plus issues, media, politics, and really whatever else we want to talk about. I'm one of your hosts, Alexander Prevost. And I am Noah Dayheim. And today we are concluding our three-part queer rom-com trilogy with Thing Good. And by Thing Good, I do mean Fire Island. Woo! That was... It was so good. Such a good movie. I was so happy. Holy shit. Like when I watched it. Like five minutes... I literally remember texting you like five minutes and I was like, Noah, I'm five minutes in. I just passed the title card. I'm already in love. Like, it was so good. Oh my God, it was so good. So today, just like our last two episodes, we're going to go into an, a recap background on the film, the good, the bad, and we're actually going to end with takeaways from this three-part series that we did. Uh, it's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot from this series and the research and background and all of that. And before we get the episode started, just want to put a quick reminder out there. Please follow us on social media. My handle is at Noah Dayheim on all platforms. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Alexander PRVST. That's Alexander PRVST. You can also follow the pod on social media and Instagram and Twitter at So Stereotypical Pod. And all of those links are down in the podcast description as well as a Q&A form we have down there. So if there's ever any episodes or any topic or anything you would like to see us cover, if you have any feedback for us, go ahead. Use that Q&A function down there. Uh, Gotten some really cool uh, feedback from listeners. Our queer baiting episode was actually suggested to us by a couple listeners so mm-hmm. it's a really cool way for us to engage with all of you. So thank you very much. We just surpassed, I think, 250 subscribers. We just mm-hmm. passed our first month. This has been really fun. And it's let's go awesome. ahead and get into this. Let's get let's into get this. Let's get into this, bitch. Let's get into this, bitch. <laughs> all right. So a little bit of background on Fire Island, the film, not the TV show, not to be confused with that. It was released on June 3rd of 2022, this past summer, this past Pride Month. It was It's a Hulu original, a Hulu exclusive film distributed on the streaming platform. It was directed by Andrew Ahn and written and starring the one, the only, and the iconic comedian Joel Kim Booster, who I've been a fan of for so many years and was so excited to see him make his big, like, streaming platform, mainstream-ish screenwriting debut. The film also stars SNL's Bowen Yang, who is an icon, Matt Rogers, who uh, does a podcast with Bowen Yang called Las Culturalistas, and Conrad Ricamora as Will, the love interest of Joel Kim Booster's Noah in the film. It got a 90... 90- Overall, an amazing cast. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Fantastic cast. cast star-studded it also has a 94 on rotten tomatoes it was based off of jane astin's uh pride and prejudice and it came in with a 10 million a 10 million dollar budget roughly um the average rom-com budget in hollywood films is about 40 million dollars bros was about 22 million and even with that's like a, a smaller budget it's still absolutely 
smashed it. Holy Absolutely shit. smashed it. Yeah, that was amazing. So when I was doing the research after watching, um, I do a little research before and a little bit after. I just don't want to ruin the experience of watching the film. Absolutely. So... I try and avoid looking at the budget until I'm done and I kind of guess what the budget is. I was guessing around 20, 30 million. Around the same a $10 million budget. That, I mean, I mean, yes, that sounds like a lot, but no, that is a very low budget because you got some rom-coms are out here at 90, $98 million budgets and the fact that Fire Island was able to do what they did with only $10 million, it's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. It's, it's insane. And it looks so... If we're going to start with positives, because, I mean, thing good, dude, the film looked amazing. The shots were so gorgeous and crisp and clean and inspired. Like, one of the things that I love about indie films is that there's a big emphasis on depth of field. You know, like if someone is like closer to like, if we're doing like a close up on like a person during like a conversation or like a personal intimate moment or a moment of reflection, the background will be super blurred out. And like the focus is emphasized on like the person in the foreground of the shot. And so much of the film really utilized depth of film within or depth, depth of field. Sorry, my bad. Um, but use depth of field so well and so crisply in each of the shots. I was just like, Ugh! it's so visually, it's like, it was like visual dessert. It was so good to look at. It, it was like really was. And it, it was edited so well and put together. Amazing. It was edited by Brian Cates, who is a very, very well-known uh, editor in Hollywood and he just has such a variety of work behind him so many movies so many tv shows got podcast series in there too documentary he tied in so much stuff into this project and it was so good it I was know. so good uh and uh, yeah, like you said, the cinematography too was beautiful. I like that they broke the rule of thirds a lot in the movie. Oh, they yeah. did a lot of center stage and uh, it just felt more real. It felt more real and lifelike. And oh, it, it was a beautiful film. The color mm. tones and everything was amazing. And yes, we, also, we are, we, we may be gay, we may be bitter, but yes, we are able to give compliments where it's due. This is just proving bros in love, Simon <laughs> was not good. Not it, not, not it, not um, it. Can we also talk yeah. about the soundtrack? Go ahead, too? go ahead, please, yeah. Please, please, Damn. look, I mean, I mean, out of the three, I will give Love, Simon, its flowers and say that it probably has the most, I think, consistent soundtrack with yeah. each scene of the film. But, I mean, this film easily takes the cake for second place. And I mean a very close second, if not tied for first, in my opinion. Like, the film's soundtrack is so 
sparkly and crisp and fun and the score and the score interpolates a lot of like classical music that you would find in like a pride and prejudice retelling or pride and prejudice film so it's like you have this like blend of like modern contemporary gay icons like perfume genius on the soundtrack and muna on the soundtrack and britney spears on the soundtrack kind of contrasted with you know, the score, which is a little bit more harmonic, a little bit more classical, but also mixed in with some modern up-tempo music, it's just mm, creates this very, again, the word I keep coming back to is delicious, delectable, visually appealing, sonically appealing, very well done film. And the presentation is just immaculate from all fronts, the editing, cinematography, and soundtrack, just amazing. Yeah. I am just in awe of this. Uh, the director, this is only his fourth movie that he's Slayer. directed. Knocked it out of the park. What the hell? <laughs> Bruh. I, I would not have guessed that. It was so good. It was it was I... so well put together. And also props to the casting department, too. Amazing. Like, oh my god oh and also huge shout out to the costume department just they they took it and ran with it so mm-hmm. good i i, yeah, I love that i work in costuming um as like a, as a costume designer for theater departments fun fact about me i also do that um <laughs> further for this further cementing my uh, status as a stereotypical gay um i do costuming um and costume design and I really appreciate the attention to detail that the costume department had with each of the characters. Like, for example, Keegan and Luke, who are played by uh, Tomas Matos and Matt Rogers, they're kind of the, like, comedic relief of the the five-some main characters. They're, like, the femme twink gays, the theater gays. They're funny, they're bubbly, they're energetic, and that really shows in the way that they dress. Like... You know, it's like, it's tank tops, it's it's ascots, it's, you know, thong bikinis at a party, it's nail polish and makeup, it's, it's just so tasteful, and it conveys so much character through that design in a very loving presentation, and I agree with you. Costume design is incredible. Yeah, it's so good, and the acting just took it away. Mm. The friendship between Noah and Howie, the main character's name is Noah, and let's not get that confused. I'm not talking this <laughs> in the third person right now. Um, but that friendship between Beautiful. Noah and Howie was just so good. And when I started watching it within the first like 10-ish minutes, I was getting a little worried that they were going to have Noah and Howie get together. Get together. And that would have been the most stereotypical I'm so rom-com. I and I think you're supposed to think that too when you're watching mm-hmm. it is you're supposed to have that in the back of your mind like, oh, they're going to get together. They're going to get together. But then that whole plot twist between Noah and Will. Oh, man. <laughs> they did such so a good job good. on that. good. So that really, let's go ahead and dive into then the writing part of it and comparing this to bros, because I I think that, I think that's one to really compare it to because in the writing style 
while yes, this movie is based off of a book, just like Love, Simon was based off of a book. Different, different, but... um, Adaptation versus like artistic reinterpretation. Yeah, yeah. But when you were looking at the writing on the bros side of it, all of that was stereotypical and stereotypically put together. Mm-hmm. And it, when you then come over to Fire Island, you see all of these plot twists, all of these different things, breaking different rules that just make sense. It mm-hmm. just makes sense. I agree wholeheartedly. And I love that the first point you brought up in terms of just like the writing was the relationship between Howie and Noah, which I think uh, for those listening at home, Joel Kim Booster plays Noah, the main character. Bowen Yang plays Howie, who is the other, I would argue, central protagonist of the film. And they act not just like not necessarily like foils, but compliments to each other in the story where Noah inhabits the typical like twunk persona you know he's ripped but effeminate he's you know very much into the whole you know no holds barred open relationship polyamorous lifestyle where you know commitment is not really a thing let's you know party and have fun stuff like that you know the typical gay male experience in your 20s and 30s um how he acts as kind of a foil who's more like traditional he dresses very modestly he has a very shy persona his whole thing is like i don't really want that for me i'm not into hookup culture i'm not really into party culture i really would rather just you know have a monogamous relationship and settle down and the film doesn't push either as being the best option exactly that's what i love yeah because in the in the queer community there's this weird dichotomy where specifically within gay males and you know, the film does center a lot of the gay male experience. So obviously this isn't representation for queer femme individuals and you know, not all art has to represent everyone, even though there is lesbian representation in the film, which we do love. We do love uh, Aaron's character Um, in the gay male community. um, There's this weird dichotomy where a lot of, typically upper middle class and white cisgender gays will push for a more heteronormative, assimilative lifestyle where like you're gay, but it's not your personality. You're gay, but you know, you like monogamy. You're normal. Straight people will like you. And then there's this other dichotomy where if you don't do that, you're a slut. But then on the flip side of the argument you have people that are arguing like that's bad you know you're conforming to heteronormative standards yada 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 blah 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 and if you do that you're boring and dumb and dull and you don't know how to fun and i think there are valid points on the side of arguing that monogamy is a construct created by heterosexual people to police people in general and i would agree i would agree that that is a valid point but I also recognize that the f- that monogamy works for a lot of people, and that's okay, and there's no need to police that. And I think the film does such a loving job of validating different kinds of relationships and love and sex in general. Rather than saying X route or Y route is the best, it says it presents both and says, hey, all of this can work for people. It's okay, you know? And I really appreciate that, even though in the end... Noah does eventually try a monogamous relationship, you know, 
it's probably going to be assumed that since they're long distance, there'll be room for open relationship, you know, that they'll still see other people while being committed to one another. And that's a very common thing, especially within gay male relationships. And that's okay. That's a good thing. And I'm glad that fo- that the film embraces all kinds of love in the film. So, yes, I totally agree with you that there's room for improvement on the representation of queer femme. While, yes, there are gay femme individuals in the movie um and even a few lesbians including my one of my favorite actresses of all time margaret margaret Cho. oh my god she's amazing um and she did such a good job in this she was amazing and i loved her and i wanted to give her a hug the entire film yes i know right right Mm -hmm. um so yeah, of course, of course, there's room for improvement, and yeah, there are a few holes in the plot too, but the overall representation, I feel like it did a good job breaking down stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I agree. Breaking down stereotypes, unlike in Bros, unlike in Love Simon, which and, reinforced those stereotypes mm-hmm. of queer individuals. Yeah. Absolutely. And I also loved that we were able to learn more about the characters, too, besides them just being gay. Right. We got into almost everybody's background. We got to know their interests, some of their hobbies. Their class. Their class. It was really, really cool. And actually showing like that struggle with um, money as well. Uh, that oh yeah, it, like it, not everyone is a rich white gay male that is able to do whatever the hell he wants to do. Exactly, that's exactly. not it. And I really want to commend Joel in the writing of the film because Pride and Prejudice at its core is a tale does have a lot of themes of classism in the film and Jane Astin as an author is very present in the movie I mean literally within the first the first quote of the movie is a reference to Jane Austen from you know the narrator um, Noah and I think it's great and I think the film I want to commend Joel in the fact that the film you know adopts Pride and Prejudice's themes of class and applies them to specifically the gay male community because good god do we have so many problems with (laughs) classism and racism whereas in yeah you know pride exactly whereas you know in pride and prejudice you know it's your it's your the the size of your mansion it's the wealth you have it's the you know the clothes you wear it's like how they mentioned in that one scene ride to fire island when they're all on the boat blah yada yada the narration goes like in the our community, like class is represented not just by money, but also by your skin color, your race, and how many abs you have. And that's so true. So unbelievably true. And again, like the fact that the film centers the very harsh reality of a lot of queer individuals that are of color and their dichotomy to the privileged upper middle class white gays is very true. Like that one scene in the diner where, you know, you know which scene I'm talking about, where that one customer makes a really racist remark to Bowen Yang's character and both mm-hmm. Bowen and Joel's character look at each other and go, ugh. Like, so much of that film, like, so much of the film is very, very conscious of showing anti-Asian racism 
and anti-POC racism in the gay male community. And I'm so grateful that that shows that because not we're, we don't talk about that enough. Yeah. Especially in mainstream platforms. We don't talk about that enough. And I am very glad that they brought up a lot of that because during in 2020 we saw a drastic rise in anti-asian hate crimes absolutely and the fact that they brought that up they brought up racism coming from the republican party they brought up (laughs) all of these different problems and they spotlighted it in such a good way and bringing in the point of we have that all going on right there. Plus we have our own lives going on too. Right. And how whenever there, there's this one pretty racist character that kept making anti-Asian remarks. It was Cooper, right? Cooper was the character, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh God. And the fact that they did spotlight that. And then they were like, yeah, we just, Get away from it. It just, whatever. Just fuck it. Some people are stupid. Some people are really fucking stupid. Yeah. They did it in such a good way that it feels real. Because it is. Yeah. Because that's exactly what it's like. I grew, okay, story time. I grew up in the Bay Area. And when I started going on Grindr in the Bay Area, the amount of anti-Asian hate on Grinder in the Bay Area is insane. Every other white male profile will have some kind of racial preference being like, no Asians, no, no Indians, no black people. And I'm like, what? Like it is, and it is so, especially because Silicon Valley has such a high East South and Southeast Asian population. You will, you would, you would not be, it would, it is, mind-blowing how many accounts have racial preferences on there and it just goes to show that like that is still very much a huge issue in our community and again i'm so grateful that the film highlights that and calls attention to that because so many especially like especially the kinds of people that probably would enjoy bros genuinely probably do experience a lot of deep-seated privilege in society and do hold a lot of racial prejudices within their own and against their own community members so again huge props to uh joel for keeping that in the writing and centering that in the film because that is so important that we talk about that yeah and uh, the editor too deserves a lot of props as well for tying that story together for mm-hmm. highlighting it in such a unique way the emotions feel genuine the fears feel genuine the nerves all of it portrays so well Absolutely. so well and i agree with all those points like it is true like the editor does a fantastic job seamlessly making each shot flow so beautifully especially in scenes that are you know detailing such visceral issues for individuals uh again just kind of breaking the ground of a stereotypical queer film you know because typically a lot of mainstream or high profile queer media does not showcase or center a lot of intercommunity racism which is something that needs to be addressed more is the fact that within our community you know you have white gays being racist against queers of color you have cis gays being transphobic against you know 
trans and non-binary people. You know, those are very intra-community oppression is a huge thing and that needs to continue being addressed. And I'm so grateful that that is. Um, Speaking of stereotypes and breaking that, um, I also really appreciate the way that the film lovingly holds the, the word I'm going to use here is holds because it feels like it, it's a, it, the film feels like one big warm hug. Matt Rogers and Tomas Matos's characters, um, Luke and Keegan in the film are portrayed. Typically in Hollywood cinema and in films and television, mainstream media, um, the feminine gay man is a stereotypical character played in a couple ways. The first being uh, the drama instigator that causes a lot of shit. The second being the comedic relief that their femininity and their being gay are the punchlines of every joke. Or they're like the wise best friend, you know, the one that like has a lot of great advice and is really smart and knows what they're talking about all the time. You know, they're either the instigator, the comedic relief or the savior as it were, as it were. And in the film, the those two, uh, Luke and Keegan, are the comedic relief of the film, but it they're it's done in such a way where it's like yes, these are twinks, but the joke the butt of the joke is not the fact that they're theater gay twinks, but that they get into a lot of stupid situations because they don't think, or because they're horny, or because you know they sometimes forget what's going on around them and they're a little bit oblivious. You know, it's it's because they're people that, you know, are silly and dumb, but also really fun-loving, and they're hype people. You know, they, they're they the hype people of the group. They get everyone super excited to go out to party when they want to go to underwear club or underwear night or wherever they call it in the film. So I really want to commend the film for not shitting on femininity in queer men in the same way that Bros does or Love, Simon yeah. does. Both of those films are arguably pretty misogynist and anti-femme. Oh, Whereas Fire Island... Yeah, exactly. Whereas Fire Island is like, it hypes up everyone. Everyone in that kind of film is loved and celebrated for their masculine or feminine presentations. And I really adore that because as someone that is a bit more femme leaning, that makes me feel super validated in my identity. And I'm really grateful that the film does that. I love the representation of the friend group having all different types of queer identities such as Keegan being a very twinky twink Noah being a stereotypical gay man uh the twonk the twonk if you will you have Max being the bear you have all of this different representation in the movie and it does it in such a delightful way that bros did not because in bros you have it really shows only two different versions of being gay okay it shows the broy bro jock gay and it shows the very just the stereotypical gay while yes side characters are lesbian are trans but having the main characters represent a vast majority. Right. That is why this movie appeals more to other people. Because 
nobody's just the one side of gay or the other. Okay? It's complicated. It's complicated. It's a scale. And they did such a good job in this movie bringing that in. And I loved it. I loved it. I also really want to bring up a side point in the film that I think is really awesome, how the film is very affirming of nightlife and grinder. Whereas in bros, grinder is often treated like a negative, you know, it's treated like a point of comedic relief and the experiences are always usually negative and awkward. That's not always the case for people. You know, a lot of folks that I know that use grinder have had more or less mediocre to positive experiences on the app. And that doesn't go for everyone. You know, we all have our bad batch and some people just, you know, don't have bad luck on there. But for most people, it's not this like, Oh, app to be scared of, or, Oh, it's always bad or awkward or negative. You know, it can bring some positivity for folks. I've met a lot of good friends in my life through grinder. Um, and the movie doesn't shy away from, you know, treating it like a joke, but also like, you know, it's not a negative thing. It's a normalized thing in the same way that nightlife and sex and being at clubs is treated like a normal thing in the movie. You know, they go to underwear party, you know, there's, you know, Noah's character casually walks in on an orgy while looking for someone, you know, which is, and that's and honestly just goes just, with it too. That was because, so funny because that's what you expect. That's literally, a, that's, that's an average night at that's, that's just your everyday Saturday night in San Francisco, babes. That's, that's, <laughs> that's like, that's SF pride, baby. That's normal. Oh, you know, that, that happens. Sidetrack, sidetrack. I almost walked in on a three way at your party last year. <laughs> You did. You did. That was... I remember that. Oh, my God. That was fucking hilarious. I was just trying to find that the bathroom. That was so funny. That was so... <laughs> I, like, walked back to the bathroom. I was like, oh, okay. Just turn around. <laughs> Gotta get out of here. Um, But, yeah, like, again, it's like, whereas in bros, they treat these things as, like, spectacle or jokes in the in Fire Island, yes, there's like comedic relief around those things, but it's not like done in a way where it's like offensive or a spectacle, but rather it's normalized. Like, yep, this is this is who we are. This is what our nightlife looks like, but like not in a way where it's like, oh, this is like offensive to straight people or queer people. It's just it is what it is. Exactly. Whatever. And that's what I've been talking about this whole series is normalizing being gay. Mm-hmm. Normalize it. Normalize all of the shit. And don't make it, it don't highlight the stereotypes. Don't make it so stereotypical. So stereotypical. And they just did such a good job. Joel did such a good job writing this, tying that together. I and agree. normalizing, being having that normal aspect of it. You can make a great movie with queer protagonists and not make it cheesy, not make it stereotypical, and normalizing the community. And by having a predominantly gay cast about a gay movie... You're able to normalize it, like you said, about grinder, about poppers. You're able to normalize <laughs> and nightlife and everything. Because these actors have been through it. 
Mm-hmm. It's their they life. It. They get it. They, they get totally it. Do. They understand they it. Get it. And that's what disappointed me about bros is I'm like, y'all are gay. You should get it. But it is a lot of, there's a lot of privilege in that movie in bros. There's a lot of privilege in that movie that they just kind of shoved under the rug. Mm-hmm. But in this, in Fire Island, it was so tasteful. As you said, it's delicious. It's, it's warm. So delicious. It feels like it's embracing you. And it it's, a love what, it's a what love was letter. Your, what was your favorite scene in the movie? Oh, God. I There were so many ones I loved. Yeah. Um, I think... Oh, gosh. Wow, that's actually a really good one. <laughs> oh, wow. I have to think, because like, there were like, so many in my head that just resonated with me. If you me. want me to go first, I have I have two. Can you go first so I have okay. a moment to think? My number Can, one. You go, you go, you go. My favorite scene, the puzzle scene. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not going to elaborate much, because if you have not watched this movie yet, go and watch it. The puzzle scene is hilarious because it does take away from the stereotype that all of gay culture is hookup culture. Exactly. And it was breaking down that stereotype. And then second favorite scene was when Noah walked in on the orgy. That was just (laughs) that. That was great. It was good. That was great. It was tasteful. And I love that that kind of tied in (laughs) with the orgy that happened in bros because you could see the orgy that, that happened in Bros was not done well. It was not no. funny. They had the opportunity to make it funny. They had the opportunity to do stuff with it, but they didn't. But right. in Fire Island, they did such a tasteful job. Mm-hmm. It was hilarious. It only lasted, what, like 45 seconds, if that, if that. And it was a perfect comedic relief in the middle of a tense moment in the movie. Exactly. It was so good. So those were my yeah. two. Those were my two. It was amazing movie. Love the movie. I, I agree. I'm going to quickly comment on the first one that you mentioned, the puzzle scene. Like, again, the fact that the film is so loving towards Howie's character's motivation of just, I want a relationship. I don't want to have sex. I want to have love. You know, I want that for myself. Um, I really appreciate that that scene kind of further cements that because Charlie is such a good boy in the film. And I love his character arc of like being able to let go of his problematic, you know, privileged racist friends and be like, Hey, I actually don't believe in this shit and I'm actually a good person and I like you and I want to be with you. You know, I really appreciate that, that the film was very like, you know, allowed for that ability to showcase their tender blossoming romance it's kind of like a schoolboy crush almost and i really i thought it was really sweet it was really Mm -hmm. endearing um uh gosh i would say my favorite scene in the film i think i really liked the beach scene with will's character with will and noah because yeah towards the end yeah towards the end and i the reason why is because a lot of the film's major romantic tension outside of Howie and Charlie is between Noah and Will. Will, who is this upper class, but also a person of color, but also 
very like detached from gay culture, but also immersed in gay culture, a little bit awkward, a little bit quiet, a little bit standoffish, not a, a more reserved personality, which contrasts to, you know, Noah's more kind of open, loud, big, colory, effervescent personality and seeing the kind of enemies to lovers storyline and seeing how they're a lot more similar in more ways than one and seeing them kind of bridge that divide of being like, oh, actually, we're a lot more alike than we think. And there is potential for a really powerful love story there. That beach scene where they're both reading Jane Austen together, like that that's what I want for my romance. Like I want to yeah. date a really hot, intelligent guy that will challenge me as a person, but also, you know, read Jane Austen with me on the, or some kind of philosophy book with me on the beach. That's yeah. my ideal romance, you know? And I really loved that because again, the way the movie pro- presents love and sex in the film is so tender and warm. Even if it's funny, it's also a level of tenderness that yeah. I really think just gives the viewers a big old hug. It's it a love does. letter. It's, it a, really it's, it's does. a big love letter. Exactly. It really does. It gives that nice warm hug. And no, I, I, I love that scene too. I agree. There is one more thing I do want to point out about the film yes. that I just remembered. It was a Hulu original. What else is a Hulu original? Love, Victor. So. Yes! I want to just yes! tie that in real quick because I feel like with Hulu being a part of this movie as well, that made it pretty important because they have done a pretty good job on Love, Victor so far. I think it's in its third season. It's it's finished. It's done. Yeah. It's done. It's done. It's had its three-season arc. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't caught up to season three yet. Um, Me neither. (laughs) I'm like halfway through it right now. But the thing is, they did such a good job tying in and fixing mistakes that have been made in past productions such as Love, Simon. And I feel like they they really took the problems and were like, this is how we can fix it. We're going to fix it for this new movie that has nothing to do with Love, Simon or Love, Victor. And we're going to take what we learned from the series and bring it in. And it was mm-hmm. so good. And I, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. It was Hulu makes amazing Hulu originals. Great content. I Great content. love Hulu originals. Catherine the Great, or The Great, which centers Catherine the Great. That was a great one. Uh, Love Victor's great. Uh, I like a lot of their films. They also they were the ones that also did the uh, one with Kristen Stewart, right? That this the lesbian rom com featuring Kristen Stewart and Dan Levy, yeah. right? I'm they also sure. did that one yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, they did that one too. I don't know the name off the top of the top, off the top of my head, but yeah. yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I I think we can use this as a transition point to takeaways from this three point series in that. When looking at these three films, these bigger profile films featuring queer cinema or queer stories, Love, Simon, Bros, and Fire Island, I think the most important thing we can start with is, as queer people, it is pointless for us to expect long-standing institutions like Hollywood, like Disney, etc., etc., to be 
the big voices of change or representation we need. Because if you keep asking mainstream creators or mainstream platforms to, which typically exist very far behind the curve to create representation for you, you're going to, it's so likely you're going to be disappointed. We see this time and again with, with Disney films, we, you know, queer representation in Disney films. Like when Beauty and the Beast came out, they were like, oh, LeFou is going to be gay finally. And then the gay in question was like a subtextual crush on Gaston and a two second clip at the after the after the during the credits during the encore so like queer so representation where it you know so funny. oh my god that exactly. was oh man i totally forgot exactly. about that because i watched exactly. that, i watched that in the theater that was uh, that was actually Not, funny it was, it was a choice but it was yeah a choice. yeah choice learning learning from the past going forward changing and not relying, like you said, on the big media companies. You, right. While yes, um, right. while yes, Hulu is a pretty medium-sized production company. It's not uh, 21st uh, Century Fox. It's not Universal. But they're really doing, it, so far, a good job voicing change. And I think looking at these, looking at maybe smaller directors, looking at smaller media creators to do a lot of the work. And right. I, I really like that. And once again, uh, the director, this was his fourth film, his fourth and major it a, film. It was a smash. It yeah. was a smash. It, it was a smash. And, that's pretty young in his directing. Uh, I am looking forward to everything else Seeing that else he he's gonna he's gonna do. And my takeaway, just like you said, we relying on not relying on the major companies, not relying on the major voices could definitely be beneficial for the queer community, for the BIPOC Mm -hmm. community, for really everyone, because Hollywood has done such a horrible job with representation for anyone who is not straight, white, rich, cis, cis. And it, it's really cool to see smaller directors be doing such good work. I agree. When you look at the greats of the greats in terms of queer cinema, you know, and that doesn't just include queer stories, but it includes, you know, films like Death Becomes Her and Mommy Dearest. The great of the greats, they're not these big budget Hollywood films or they're not these like mainstream rom-coms. They're they're indie films. They're smaller creators. They're They're streaming exclusives. They're streaming exclusive television shows and films. They're you know, they're camp, they're camp films, they're eclectic, they're weird, they're, they're not, they don't fit into boxes, or they're lower production or lower budget, because those are the, the smaller creators, the smaller institutions, typically 
are the more progressive ones because they're not bound to such big societal expectations or rigid standards like old Hollywood is in the same way that in the same, in, in different ways that, you know, Hulu is able to create great content as we have seen through a couple of some examples you pointed out that can also be said for, you know, some Netflix shows, some Amazon shows, et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, even though the streaming wars are inevitably going to kill us all, um, So many and subscriptions. I, uh, too many subscriptions. <laughs> um, you know, queer media never really thrived in the first place from major Hollywood outlets. It was always in the niches and streaming platforms. And I agree. And one final point. When you look at these three films, what Fire Island does best and why it is truly a queer film and why it is queer cinema and why it's just a good movie is that the queer characters are allowed to exist outside of their queerness. Yeah. They are people yep. with a lived-in world, with lived-in experiences, with dreams and goals and aspirations, just like you, me, and everyone listening to this podcast. They are people. And that's where Fire Island goes right and where Love, Simon, and Bros has been going wrong this whole time is that our stories are not just about us being, you know, gay, bi, trans, non-binary. It's also about who we are as people and what we want to do and where we have come from. Exactly. Okay, one last thing. Okay, quick round of hot or not hot or not love simon not hot or not bros not hot or not fire island so very hot please uh joel if you're listening to this podcast um i am single and available i i am single and available i i would like (laughs) to pick your mind and ask you so many questions and then i would like i was going with um, this I would like to um, maybe take you on a date and do some other things that I would not say. Oh my but I am very. You heard it from here. I am very. I have a huge crush on Joel Kim Booster. You heard it from here. I have a huge crush on him. It's bad. Well, it's really bad. on that note, we <laughs> will catch you all in next week's episode. Thank you so much once again for the love and support on everything we've been doing. Please let us know if there is a topic you would like to cover and follow us on social media. All the links are down below. I love you, Alexander. I love you too, Noah. <laughs>